0: Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today on the CMO Podcast, we are doing an office hours special. On each episode of Office Hours, a panel of experts and I will be taking your questions about a topic that is important and urgent in our industry. If you have a question for us, leave us a voicemail at 781-786-8885 or email us your question at cmopodgmg at That's cmopodgmg@gmail.com. at We will try to feature your questions on future Office Hours episodes. Today's Office Hours theme is trust, the foundation for every brand. And joining me to answer your questions on this matter is Ashley Reichheld, a principal at Deloitte Digital and leading the HX Trust ID platform. Welcome, Ashley, to the show. I know you love to write. What is your latest writing project?
1: It's a great question for me. Thanks. We're actually writing a book. It's supposed to come out next September.
0: Well, tell us more. Is it about trust?
1: It sure is. It's about trust measurement and how companies can think about embedding it into their corporate mission, putting trust at the center of what they do.
0: Maybe we'll get into that a bit later. Also joining is Susie Watford, EVP Consumer and Chief Marketing and Membership Officer at the Wall Street Journal and a return guest on our podcast. That was such a great episode, Susie. It's so good to have you back on the CMO Podcast. What is new at The Wall Street Journal since we had our lovely session back in May 2021?
2: Well, it's lovely to be back. Uh, nice to talk to you again. What's new at The Journal? Well, there's a bit of uh, good reporting that you might have read about the Facebook files. That's Ooh. kind of been a thing. Um, so that's uh, that's all been happening. Amazing coverage um, from The Journal there. Uh, we've had our big Tech Live festival, so Wall Street Journal Tech Live, with some really brilliant and big interviews. Um, and just more subscriptions growth. It's been a, a really great, yeah, a really great couple of months.
0: So, your Facebook spe- uh, reporting, it, it, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite that mm. powerful. Everyone is picking it up. And talk about an initiative, a symbolic initiative to build trust. It doesn't get much better than that. I mean, it's fabulous reporting and what commitment.
2: Yeah, just a- amazing. And amazing to see how many people, it's a great example of, the operation and the time and the you know the energy and care that goes into doing something like that months and months of reporting you know 60 plus 70 plus journalists all coming together to to do reporting like that and to piece it together and tell the story across multiple formats to reach as many people as possible and then the continuing impact that you, that you've seen from reporting like that so yeah they've done a they've done a fantastic job
0: so is this going to a movie, a book, a documentary? Can you tell us?
2: Well, I mean, all I can tell you is that Jeff Horowitz, who was the reporter on it, definitely would make, uh, would make a brilliant, uh, brilliant character in that reporting. I don't know whether you've seen him on TV, but with his headband and stuff. So he's definitely um, a character, and it, will, it would make a brilliant story, right? A brilliant documentary or film. So who knows? I think so.
0: So today's episode is all about trust. And before I begin, let's keep this personal. I want to ask each of you for a brand that you really trust and why you trust it. And Ashley, you're grinning, so I'm going to start with you.
1: Well, I was just thinking that because Susie's on, I can't possibly say the Wall Street (laughs) Journal. But Susie, know that the Wall Street Journal makes my list for sure. A brand that I trust. I would choose Lego. Lego is a phenomenal brand, really targeted and thoughtful about the audiences that they're serving, both kids and adults, both genders. They do a really nice job of fixing mistakes if they ever have one. Although, honestly, these days, that's rare given their manufacturing process. And they're just very customer-centric.
0: The only thing they can do to build my trust is somehow avoid me from stepping on them in the middle of the night. So, Susie, I'll go to you. A brand, not your own, because I know you trust it implicitly. and Of course you do. But what, what's a brand that you trust and why?
2: Um, you know, maybe this is controversial given I work at a news organization, but I would also say the BBC, you know, for, um, definitely as a, as a Brit abroad, um, still tuning in and, you know, listening to the BBC, listening to the radio, um, there is a, there is a comfort, um, to that. And I think, um, yeah, I, they will always be the place that I'll turn to for big national events, um, to, to really feel that sense of home. So yeah, the BBC.
0: So neither one of you said a Procter and Gamble product. You know, I spent a lot of my career at that company. So, but I'm not. I'm not offended, and, and they won't <laughs> be either. But I, I, would have to say, uh, when I get asked this question, a lot of brands, uh, you know, come into my mind. But but Tide actually is one of them. It's you know, it's I don't know, seventy years old now, and we've tried other detergents. We always come back to Tide.
2: Brand loyal.
0: Yeah, it's the best, and they don't let you down. And we'll talk a lot more about not letting people down. Okay, now let's continue in this vein of talking about companies and brands and trust. And Susie, I want you to now get personal about the Wall Street Journal. And this is maybe a stupid or an obvious question, but I want to start with it anyway. I want you to talk about why is building trust so important at the Wall Street Journal?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I would start by saying that it's just so central to the mission. It's the reason why people work here. It's the reason why the journalists do the work that they do. Um, the motto that um, has long existed that we talk about is truth to good ends. Um, you know, how to put that trust to journalism to good use is absolutely crucial. So it's something that runs through the company, how we work, how we operate um, from, from the newsroom all the, way, all the way up and through the company. Um, but the other thing is, is there is also a commercial imperative to trust. And this is something that we talked to, to Ashley and the Deloitte team an awful lot about, which it's we know that willingness to pay and trust are highly correlated. So the more people that trust us, the more willing they are to pay, which means it's also got a kind of a growth imperative. So the reason why we were so interested in trust is we know that it's central to who we are. It's at the heart of the campaign that I spoke to you about the last time we met and trust your decisions. And we know that it's important in order to help us grow. But we also wanted to understand how with a brand like The Journal that's got 130 years of reputation around trust, how do you protect it? How do you build it? How do you change people's opinions who might be less you know, familiar with the brand? And how do you build trust with those new audiences? So we really wanted to understand, you know, yes, it's important to us. Yes, we know it matters for growth. But but how do we really understand it and get under the hood of it and understand how we can do even more with trust?
0: I guess I should have thought about this more. But trust and price premium—that's a really rich space. And and Ashley, maybe we'll go there later. But if I think about brands that I really and yours is one of them, Wall Street Journal—I'd probably pay three times what I'm paying now. You know. <laughs> yeah because I trust it, and I can't imagine not starting my day with it
2: yeah completely it's a habit it's a habit, and I think there is you know there's a lot that we've learned along the way in the conversations um, with Ashley and the team, but understanding about what's what's built on reputation, you know there's one hundred and thirty years of trust, but how do you how do you also make it super relevant for the future, and how is it how is it a future facing thing and something that you can rely on? In the moment. And that's why so much of the work that we spoke about last time, you know, trust your decisions is based on yes, we've got this history of trust, but right now, in the moment when you need to make a decision, you can use the Wall Street Journal. So finding that balance between the past and the future has been a really, really interesting thing for us as well.
0: Well, Ashley, we're talking about you already. And I want to tee you up for this. You, I know Deloitte has been intently studying trust, and in particular, how companies can measure, predict, and act on trust which Susie's already talking about. So I'd like you to start by giving us sort of the broad scope of this trust platform you've built, why you embarked on this project, what was the catalyst within Deloitte, and if you could, a few of the key findings for our listeners.
1: I would be delighted to, and I was trying to write down all the variations in your question. Um, Well, so first, as Susie mentioned, trust really matters. It drives business results, and you see that in how companies are performing trusted companies outperform untrusted or mistrusted companies by two and a half times. It's a lot. And it drives the behaviors you want to see. When you have a trusted brand, customers are 87% of the time, they're going to buy your brand again. 62% of them are going to be loyal to your brand. So we know that it deeply matters, um, both to the customers that are buying it, boss, or the companies who are providing it. The challenge though, is probably twofold. First of all, Trust is really difficult to measure. You can't just go to somebody and say, hey, do you trust me? They might give you an answer, but it's really hard to be reflective about what it actually means, how it drives what I'm thinking, how do, I, how do I use that to relate to the product or the company? So you have to find new clever ways to break it down and find more actionable and meaningful insights. I think the second challenge that we found is that trust is very deeply broken in a lot of ways, and that's particularly true in the U.S., but that's true globally. When you ask people, do you trust me, Minis would say no. Um, It's been on the decline for quite some time. Almost half of employees don't trust their employer. So we're working from the ground up. We're We're not standing in a place of strength right now. So what we set out to do was to help companies find a way to measure more effectively and then to use those measurements to both predict trust scores and then act on them. So the measure itself is called the HX Trust ID, and it has four components. Humanity and transparency make up a brand's intent or what they're promising you. And it has to be a good promise, not just a promise that's for them. Capability and reliability are the other two. And that makes up a company's competence. Can they deliver effectively against the promises that they're making? And each of those four elements drives behavior. So, for example, when a company is highly reliable, customers are 540% more likely to buy from that company again. When a customer or when a company is high on humanity, employees are 260% more motivated to go to work. So we see meaningful differences in, in how people respond to trust. But I would emphasize that it's not enough to just measure trust. Trust changes, and it grows really slowly for us. It's, you know drips and drips in a bucket to build trust. And then in an instant, when we mess up, it can be lost very easily. So trust scores can fluctuate. And so we're encouraging companies not just to measure trust, but to predict trust, which is what the Wall Street Journal has been doing. And then with those predictions, to act on those, to intervene in the moments that matter to those customers, to meet them where they are, and to help build trust in small incremental ways.
0: Ashley, those are unbelievable numbers you just shared. And trust is on this long decline. What have you learned about, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into why it's been declining. I think that's pretty well covered. But how do you arrest that? curve for your business or brand. And I, I'm going to ask Susie how they're doing it at the journal in a moment. But as you look at all, all of your, all the data going into your platform, what are you learning about symbolic actions, real actions to help turn the tide on trust for, an, for a company or for a brand?
1: Well, for starters, I think it's recognizing that trust is critical and starting to measure trust and starting to hold your business accountable for trust. We talk about trust as a C-suite issue because it is, it doesn't just sit in marketing or in sales or in supply chain. Each C-suite member has a role in engendering and building trust with their workforce, with their partners, with their employees. And the only way we can hold ourselves accountable to that is to measure it and then commit to taking actions against those. So if I had my way, fast forwarding a couple years here in time, we would start seeing companies reporting out on their HX Trust ID score in their annual reports saying, here's my trust score. This is the revenue generated for us this year, and here's my commitment to the trust score I'm going to build for next year.
0: I love it. So Susie, what's your reaction to all of that that you just heard? And I know you are working with Ashley and her team. So just what is your reaction? Uh, to, what, does it, what rings true about that for you and your team at The Journal?
2: Well, I think the first thing is that just having a framework to be able to think about trust is incredibly useful because otherwise it can feel, as Ashley said, you know, do you trust me or what, what does trust mean to you? that can mean so many different things to so many different people and so it was really hard to kind of wrangle a plan together about how to build trust when you're when you're kind of looking at it as such a big issue and a big theme when you start thinking about it through the framework and reliability and humanity and transparency and so on actually it, it begins to become more tangible and and actionable and that's incredibly useful um also it just begins to kind of highlight actually where there are areas that even a brand like the Wall Street Journal that is the most trusted newspaper in America and has this amazing history, where there are still areas that actually you've got opportunity to work a bit harder. And that's really useful. So when we look at it, it probably won't surprise you that we score incredibly highly in terms of capability and reliability, right? Of course we do. But actually in terms of things like humanity, you know, we are a brand that kind of, you know, doesn't shout about how we do our news, that doesn't make, you know, big stars of individual reporters. It's more about the brand overall. But actually, those things really, really matter because they make the brand feel like it's more approachable. Um, and so that, that just becomes like a very tangible, it becomes a plan that is not just because we're all passionate about news internally, we want to tell our own story, it becomes a, actually, you know what, we need to explain how we do what we do. We need to explain the effort that goes into the separation of news and opinion, something I know we talked about last time. But we need to explain that to people because if people don't know, then, you know, they don't know. So so I think just having a framework and then coming up with those plans and steps of how you can support it across the company, as Ashley says, is is really exciting and and uh, and is kind of, a great piece of work for
0: us to really dig into. Susie, how do you know you're making progress? I mean, we talked about measurement. Ashley talked about that right up front. That's where you start. Give us some tips. I mean, how often do you look at this? Is yeah. it in KPIs? Give us some of your counsel yeah. on measurement.
2: So we've, we've, always, as a, we've always looked at trust, and we've always had whether it's external benchmarking with Pew and Reuters and stuff, and we've had our own kind of brand trust tracker Um, But as I say, it's almost so big and it can be so influenced by external, you know, things like the Facebook files or elections or whatever. It can be so influenced by external um, uh, kind of uh, noise that it can be quite difficult to get a measure on. So what was interesting in this campaign and this piece of work that we've been doing was actually being able to take cohorts of customers, understand at a very deep level what their trust score was. Then put interventions in front of them where we were able to market different pieces of content or different messages and see how their trust score changed. So I'd almost say like starting, starting smaller. And actually being very focused and considered at least gives you a sense of how you can go about moving trust then at scale before kind of moving moving to a broader approach. So that's how we've been doing it and seeing some, you know, some good first results and some good move, movements um, that then allow us to build out plans across across the team.
0: What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. All right, you two, I think our listeners are thinking about how do I build trust on my brand? So Ashley, I want to turn it to you. You have so many insights in this platform you've built about leadership, about trust, about actions. So can you take us through, Ashley, what you've learned with leaders in building trust? What are your rituals, habits, practices that you recommend?
1: Well, let me let me talk about at the academic high level. What do we see trusted companies doing? What's different about them? And then I'll give you some examples about the more tactical things you can do. At the highest level, Brands that are human win. It starts with being authentic and with having empathetic leadership. It doesn't cost a lot more to act more human, but it does require passion and commitment, and it is something you have to be focused on. So first and foremost, the brands that are human win. The second is that consistency is the standard of quality. You want to have the same experience over and over and over again. And if we fail you one time, that's enough. That's enough to cause a break in that trust. So really make sure that you're setting expectations and then holding yourself accountable for those expectations. And in those rare moments when you do make a mistake, recognize it. People are actually are forgiving. In fact, I think the average is people will forgive you three times, assuming you're not doing the same thing over and over again. So really recognize that and lean into it. And then lastly, transparency makes you vulnerable. As a human being, one-on-one, trust is built when we make ourselves vulnerable. Companies don't have that same ability, the Dow Jones, the stock market, Don't really like vulnerability, so you have to find a different way to get there, and for companies, that's transparency. So whether it's a global pandemic or a data breach, um, your customers, your employees, they appreciate that candid and honest feedback, openness, conversation, data, even when it's a hard message to give. So at the highest level, those are the three things that we see the leading and most trusted companies doing. Now, trying to make that actionable is actually what Susie was talking about before, It's hard to solve everything at once. You've got to lean into and dig into the specific trust issues you have. And to the extent you can do it on a one-to-one basis, that's amazing. Targeting somebody with an individual campaign matters. That's actually where this trust score makes such a big difference. I'll give you an example. The the standard of measurement today is loyalty. What's my NPS score? And you can have a score of seven between two different people. But what's driving that might be very different. So take one person, NPS score of seven, who's just flown. Their humanity score is really low. What you want to do for them is engage them in a more human way. Maybe don't force them to sit down so fast. Help them put their bag away before you get the flight on the way. Just make them feel like a human being. Another same person, exact same NPS score of seven, but that person has low reliability. And so while it might be nice to treat them like a human, and you should, what they're really looking for is the reinforcement that you're going to get them there on time, that that six-hour delay they had last time is an anomaly. It's not going to happen again. You can trust us to deliver on what we promised.
0: Susie, I know you've been working in this space uh, with Ashley. What about the work and what we're talking about today is inspiring to you?
2: Um, I love the fact that it's something that every department can play a role in. Um, I think, you know, particularly at the Wall Street Journal, you might think, oh, you know, it's the news team's jobs to keep trust going. It's not. It's everybody's. It's customer service. It's legal. It's finance. It's, you know, it's everybody's responsibility. I think that's quite inspiring. Um, I loved learning a bit about, um, you know, people's willingness to share trusted content. When they trust you, they'll share you. And that in a news environment is really interesting. I think the Wall Street Journal is very well shared. Um, and that's because people feel like it's, you know, they're confident in, in saying, oh, I read that in the Wall Street Journal or here's this article from the Wall Street Journal. That then leads me to think about product. And, you know, with our with our product teams, OK, how are we promoting sharing? How are we thinking about how it translates into the experience itself? so i love all departments i love the the kind of impact it has on product and experience and obviously i love beginning to think more about audiences and specific targeted messaging that you know may have may have otherwise felt like it was um you know, kind of a nice to have suddenly becomes, it becomes really important that we promote the Simone Biles Wall Street Journal cover to this audience of people, because that's going to have a really good kind of increase on their humanity score. Or it's really important that we talk about retirement to this group of people, because that's what they need. It it just provides a really helpful lens and framework to think about to think about it. And um, that's why I'm passionate about it. And why I think it's, um, it can just have a big impact on all of the plans um, across across the business.
0: So you'd love that it's everyone's job, which I think is terrific too. What uh, now? You're you're also CMO, and you have other responsibilities as well. What's one thing in your remit, Susie? You and your team are doing one bold thing you're doing to bolster trust in the Wall Street Journal.
2: The brand campaign was like a big, a big move, right? Making sure that we made trust front and center of, of our brand positioning um, has has been absolutely key. But but more than that, it is thinking about these audiences and, and the comms and how do we really tailor things specifically to that audience. Um, that feels like it's it's it just ha- it runs through everything that we do. And I think I come back to that. You know, it's slowly earned and quickly lost. So um, it, it it needs to be on, an always on approach, um, and something that we just we have to look at, you know, every week and and have that discussion. And that's something that I, you know, will want to champion.
0: Ashley, I'm sure you went into this research with some hypotheses, and now you have this platform that you've spoke about. Is there anything that has surprised you in this journey? Anything that's counterintuitive?
1: A couple of things that stood out as really surprising. One is that most of our B2C leaders or many of our B2C leaders overestimate exactly how trusted they are. There is an almost 40-point gap between what consumers will tell you, how much they trust, versus how much people think that they should be trusted or feel trusted. So it's described the a discrepancy that exists between the humans in our ecosystem, the people who are asking for trust in the people who are giving it that we need to address. That was pretty shocking. I think the second is um, how much companies are focused on building it without really measuring it or trying to break down the, the actionable things that you can do. Everybody would turn and say, yes, trust is important. And when you ask them, is trust important to your brand? I challenge you to find somebody who says, no, we all know it's there. We all know it's valuable, even if we haven't quantified it. Um, yet, in spite of all of that, we don't have it as a focus. We don't have it as the underlying drive for action that it should be. Co- I mean, coming back to what you asked Susie just a moment ago, the ambition we have for trust and what inspires us, motivates us, is we think it's going to make the world a better place. Forcing yourself to measure and act on it is aligning your company's values with what your customer's values are, with what your partner's values are. It slowly and surely makes the world a better place.
0: That's a good place to break this, Ashley and Susie. We're going to take a quick break. And after the break, we will come back and answer the questions that many of our listeners have submitted about trust and other things. We'll be right back. Now we are going to discuss the questions you submitted about trust. Let's get into your questions. If you want to leave us a question to be answered on future Office Hours episodes, you can reach our voicemail at 781 786 8885. Or email us your questions at cmopodgmg at gmail.com. That's C-M-O-P-O-D-G-M-G at gmail.com. Okay, let's go to our first question. And we're going to hear, I believe, from Giselle.
2: Hi, my name is Giselle, and I work at a global consulting firm. Uh, my question is, in a world obsessed with cancel culture, what's your advice for marketers when it comes to towing the line between taking creative risks and maintaining trust? Thanks.
0: Oh my, Giselle has a good one. I'm glad I don't have to be on point to answer that. (laughs) I can give it a go. Go ahead, Susie.
2: I can give it a go. I mean, I think um, the first thing that is, you know, if you have got established trust, first of all, it probably gives you a bit more creative freedom um, because you have built up that reputation and that, um, you know, that understanding with your customers. So um, I say it, it starts there. But then I'd also say that you have to think about what it is that you're, the, the kind of the area that you're having that creative, you know, exploration within? And is it and is it within your space to to play around in? So, for example, for the Wall Street Journal, you know, we wouldn't play around in how we do our reporting or anything. In fact, even when we do our advertising, we're not allowed to fake a cover for the sake of an ad, right? So I can't make a fake front page, even if it means that the picture will look slightly better on a piece of advertising or promotion. It's just not allowed. So I think that there is kind of slight, there are rules that you almost, that you have to have in place about how you behave, which are right for your brand. And then outside of that, you can have some creative expression. But I would would really understand what those are for your brand and what that framework is, and then you can have some fun.
0: Ashley, any insights about this balance between maintaining trust, building trust, and taking creative risks?
2: I
1: think Susie is spot on. We've done a bunch of research on what we're calling divisive brands, so brands that have a very high degree, a high standard deviation of people who trust them and people who don't. And to to a large degree, the people who have a large standard deviation are in the bottom, but there are several trusted brands that have a higher standard deviation that would make the top echelon, those brands that really just are much more trusted than everybody else. And one of the things that differentiates those brands from everybody else is the authenticity of their message. So you can stand up on something as long as it's in line with the brand that you're trying to put in the market. And there's a great um, consumer company that does this. They you know, historically had been very anti-gay and very outspoken about it. They changed a lot of that, but they still remain very religious in this, this day and age. And yet that doesn't matter to their customers because they've been very upfront about this is who we are, this is what we're going to do, and we'd like to engage with you anyway.
0: Ben and Jerry's also comes to mind when you say that. I mean, there's other examples as well, but they have a long history of taking very uh, you know, strong points of view and Unilever has allowed them to do that. And I think that you know, my guess is their trust level in that brand just keeps growing.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's hear from our next listener, and I think it might be Kara.
2: Hi there, my name is Tara. Lynn. I want to submit a question. Given my marketing leadership position, my question is: Is that it seems that customer experience and what a brand says in their marketing could really impact trust positively or negatively? So, what does the role of the CMO, CMO have in integrating uh, marketing and the customer and trust overall?
0: That's a great one. And Ashley, you know, we talked about leadership lessons from your insights. So I'll go to you first. What's what's your reaction to that uh, customer experience and trust? I am sure they're highly related.
1: Highly, highly correlated. They really do go together. And, I'm, you know, Susie, as the expert on the panel, I'm going to look to you to see if my answer is, is what you think. Um, But trust and marketing have to be together, because if you're telling somebody to expect something that you're not delivering, you're going to erode trust. If you're giving a message that doesn't seem to quite fit with your brand or is really off of or out of the space in which you play, it's going to erode trust. So making sure that you're holding true to the standards that you're trying to create, whether that's your product, whether that's your experience, whether that's with your workforce, is really, really important.
2: Nailed it. I think that's exactly right. I would also add that um, you know, things like um and it's something we've talked to Ashley about, but things like your approach to your data policy and the language you use around things like that, there are lots of things that are within the, you know, the direct control of the person, you know, running marketing as a function to think about the language that's used for things that can be overly complex, that actually you really need to think about how do you put that into language that customers understand. So data policies are, a, are, you know, a great example, but so are, you know, terms of delivery and all of these kind of different things. So I think really looking at it, you know, through the lens of the customer and making sure that those, you know, the small print isn't small, that things are accessible, you know, actually, actually it does lead on to all of those DEI issues, right? How do you make sure that anybody's able to read it, anybody's able to listen to it? Um, all of those things, I think, are closely linked with customer experience and, and the role of marketing as a function.
0: I think Kara's question is wonderful. And I think coming out of this two year pandemic or so that we've been through, this area of experience is, I mean, it was kind of hot in marketing going into it, but it's on, you know, it's on hyperdrive right now. Everyone is thinking about the total experience, whether they're selling a product, whether it's B2B, B2C. And I think that's such a positive change in our industry that our people are thinking about every possible way that they can help. The person experienced their brand in a much more delightful way.
2: Yeah. I mean, for us at the Journal, um, we've recently introduced that you can listen to any article within the Wall Street Journal as well as, you know, being able to read it. And what started is... And you
0: tell us how long, which yeah, is and nice. Yeah, i tell you how long you it know? is. That,
2: how great is that? But what started is, you know, oh, this is kind of a cool function. We know that audio is a big thing. But actually, some of the feedback we get is from people that are actually, you know, have been struggling to read or... And you kind of like, there's this whole level of accessibility, which I think is also um, just exciting from a UX um, piece.
0: Okay, we're going to go to our third question. So let's roll the third question. And I believe this might be from Robin. Hi, Jim. This is Robin. We've seen so much change in how we engage customers and their expectations feel different every day. When everything is always changing, how can marketing focus on building trust for the long term? Thanks so much and
2: really appreciate hearing your perspective.
0: With expectations changing so quickly, how can we build trust? Okay, Susie, I'll tee you up for this one.
2: Well, I think having that framework and then working out what it means for you is is crucial. So, um, you know, expectations are changing, but it means you're going to have to be clear about what it is that you're going to deliver and what your brand promises and stay true to it and measure people's response to that and use the framework or, you know, a framework to, to really think through how everybody can play their role in, in delivering against that. So um, I would say it's it's by having a, having a very thorough approach to everybody's role on uh in trust and how they can deliver against it. Um, and being very clear and upfront, as Ashley said, like the authenticity of, of telling people if their delivery is going to be late, tell them that their delivery is going to be late. If you know that there's you know, a weather warning, then we send people a PDF of the newspaper to try to make sure that they get to read it, regardless. like how do you overserve to try to combat you know people's um you know people's concerns about trust? And I think when you do that, people respond in utter delight, right? They are really touched when you've thought about them in that way, and that all helps helps build trust, I think
0: Ashley, i am going to come to you in a moment, one one comment I'd like to make about this. I mean this is uh, it's a great question, and I feel like. You just have to be in touch with your customers at a a level that's more personal and more deep and not creepy than ever before. And expectations are changing quickly. They will continue to change more quickly. So it just, it makes us think about the culture we're creating in the company. Are we rewarding time with customers and consumers? Are Are we rewarding insights? Are we rewarding ideas that are of the moment and the agility and speed to pull them off? And are are we all agreed at the company that in, in the company we're in that expectations are changing quickly? Mm. So we all have to adjust our business systems for that. So I think there's a lot in this question that I think, you know, hold the mirror up and make sure that you are set up yeah. in your culture to respond to that. So Ashley, any, any thoughts about what you're sharing with clients about the environment we're in?
1: Well, I would go back to the fact that at its heart, trust is a set of promises. You, trust is making a good promise and then becoming good or making good on that promise. So when you do that, you build trust. And expectations are a critical part of that. If I'm setting your expectations and not meeting them, or if I'm failing to set expectations, I am going to erode your trust. And that comes out in different ways. An interesting study we ran was to look at the differences in frequent flyer trust. Frequent flyers, regardless of who they're flying, if they're flying on their preferred airline or not, trust more than people who don't fly as often. And we believe that's because they know what to expect. That little bit of turbulence in the air, it's not as big of a deal. The fact that you're five minutes late, or if you're five minutes early, wow. Um, you, You come to learn what to expect. And so overall, you are more trusting because you have a road that's been paved for you.
0: All right, let's go to our next question. And I think this might be from Tim.
1: Hi, this is Tim Murphy. And my question is, we've struggled with how to add a question to measure trust to our customer satisfaction measurement program. If you can't ask about trust, what is the best way to measure it?
0: Wow. Yeah. So I guess what's under that question, you, you can't ask someone if they trust you, right? That's not going to go to good places. So Ashley, how would you respond to that?
1: Humans, we like to think of ourselves as rational creatures. We are not rational. 90 plus percent of the choices that we make are based on emotional criteria. So really it's how we feel. And over the course of your life, you have experiences that shape your reactions to things, what you're looking for, what you experience. So if you really want to ask somebody, if you trust me, they're probably not going to answer that question well. Again, we don't do a good job of predicting our behavior because we're not very rational creatures. So instead of asking somebody, do you trust me? You actually have to look at what drives that trust. Coming back to the trust idea again, you got to know what the humanity and transparency are, what the capability and reliability are. When you can dig into those measures, you can
2: Understand how trusted you are without asking somebody. Do you trust me,
0: Susie? So anything to build on that?
2: I'd just add that I think um, one of the big things that I touched on at the start, and actually we did during the Facebook files, was talk more about how we do what we do, mm-hmm. and um, and you know that that's not um, that's not self indulgent. That's about explaining. Um, the, the kind of the process that goes into it. And I think to Ashley's point, it's, it's interesting because if you do read the Wall Street Journal, you have no doubt about it. But if you don't, you, you probably need to know more about how we do what we do. And so it's, that's just for me is a really interesting area that we need to do more about. So in terms of measuring it, once we've decided, do people understand, you know, how we do our journalism, that's actually the question to ask people. Not do you trust us, but do you understand what goes into making this journalism? Do you understand the effort? Do you understand standards and ethics? Do you understand the separation of news and opinion? Actually focusing more on the drivers of that, which get to transparency and humanity, are are probably better things for us to measure and will give us more insights.
0: We've had some great Q&A with our listeners, and I want to, before we leave this section, Ashley, you've been out talking to a lot of companies about your platform. What's the most frequently asked question you get?
1: We get asked a lot in the grand scheme of things. There's a lot to measure and a lot to stay on top of. Why is this the thing that we should focus on next? Because for a lot of companies, it means changing quite a bit. It means changing how we think about compensating people, what what targets we're going to set. It might mean changing our CRM systems, changing the analytics that feed into it. So the question we get is, is it going to be worth it? Is focusing on trust going to deliver on what we want it to deliver on? And that's why working with companies like Susie and the Wall Street Journal, first of all, is such a pleasure because already the kind of um, understanding of how important trust is 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 in the DNA of the Wall Street Journal. So you're over that hurdle already and can get straight to work. But otherwise, you do have to spend a lot of time talking about why it's going to matter for your business and why it's such an imperative to change.
0: So there actually is one question that came in online that I want to share with you before we close this out because it's a good one and it's a good summary question. I'd like you both to answer this. What are the characteristics of a trusted company and what's a surefire way of losing trust? Susie first, characteristics and then how do you lose it?
2: The characteristics of a trusted company, I suppose, um reputation and history will tell you a a lot as we've talked about it's built over time so understanding that i think that's obviously much more difficult with these you know we're we're back to where we started in terms of reporting and facebook files and things but companies that are newer are obviously going to struggle to establish that which is why it comes back to i think the mission of what what of what you're there to do and is it at the heart of what you're there to do and you know with brands like the wall street journal or tide you know, all the airlines, I think they've, I think they get that. I think that they get that it's at the heart and therefore, um, everything they do has to be focused around, around trust. Um, and then I think, I think the piece around transparency and authenticity is, is crucial. I think that's a key characteristic.
0: Ashley, anything to add to that?
1: I think the most important thing is, To focus on me as an individual and to meet me where I am, let me know what to expect, and then make sure that happens. That's the most important thing for a company to do, to build trust, to be a trusted company. And then the quickest way to erode trust, I think, is, well, maybe not all of it, but one way would be to erode data. Customers in general are aware of and pretty much comfortable with brands collecting data on them but not in every way. And you said this earlier, Jim, sometimes it just gets creepy. So there's a balancing act of, I need to have data to deliver a personalized experience for you, but I'm not sure I want to give you all of my data. 75% of customers expect their favorite brands to know why they purchased the product. They'll tell you how satisfied they are with it, but then only 35% of them would say that they actually want you to track your browsing history or other similar things. So finding that balance between allowing a customer to share things that they want to share using those to benefit the customer and then protecting that data is will help you stay trusted instead of losing trust
2: i suppose it, kind of to build on that it comes back to if the, if the customers are at the heart of what you do and you're looking at serving people then maybe the characteristics of a of a trusted company are those, exactly those those people that are putting their customers first and are very clear on the mission and what they're there to deliver for customers Um, and think about how they measure that, and they deliver on that every day.
0: Stay tuned, because after the break, we're going to give you our final thoughts on building trust. I am sorry this fabulous discussion on trust is about to end, but before we end it, I'd like you to share one or two action items our listeners should take from this episode. Ashley, one or two action items for them to take away.
1: First and foremost, start measuring trust. Really bake it into what you're doing. Make sure you know how trusted you are. Make sure you know which elements are are causing you to win trust or lose trust, and then focus on them. And don't just do it from a department. Think about it as a team sport. The executive team has to be behind it. So whether you're the CISO, whether you're the CHRO, whether the CMO, be focused on trust and think about how you can help
2: to build it.
0: Susie, one or two items from you.
2: I'd agree. Have the conversation about trust. Um, have it as an executive team, understand how you measure it, as Ashley said, um, and and understand what part of your business it drives or how it drives your business, that connection. For us, trust drives consideration, consideration drives willingness to subscribe and willingness to subscribe is, you know, further compounded by the more that you trust, um, trust the brand. So really understanding and having the conversation about trust across the business, measure it um, and then, yeah, kind of invest in it.
0: What's the most important thing on your to-do list, Susie, at the Wall Street Journal to build trust, your personal to-do list?
2: To tell the stories about what's behind the news. I think that's something that I've always been passionate about. I've always enjoyed doing it. But actually now I'm also very clear that it can play a real role in building trust with current and future audiences.
0: This has been a marvelous discussion. My one action or takeaway is to just elevate this conversation about trust with everyone I talk to and work with. It's, uh, and the, and what, what you've brought to the industry, I think, Ashley, you and your team, is a way to break this down, which Susie talked about, to understand the drivers and to work on the drivers and to measure the drivers. And there's, I mean, as brand building people, there's nothing more important than we can possibly do to build trust. And the first step is to understand it, measure it, and then act on it. So I thought this was an inspiring episode to get us back to the fundamentals of why we joined this industry and why we work on brands, and that is to build trust and to help the world be a better place through our business and through our brands. So thank you, both of you, for joining us today. And if people want to reach you to ask any further questions, I, I don't know if you're open to that, but if you are, how could they, how could they reach you? How could they reach out? Ashley?
1: I would be delighted to be reached out to. You can reach me in a number of different ways. You can, I, I don't know, Jim, if it's possible to put my email out, but you're welcome to do that. You're welcome to find me on LinkedIn, and you're welcome to come to our Trust Hub at Deloitte Digital and just explore and see what the data says and see what pieces there are that might interest you. Wonderful.
0: Susie, how about yourself?
2: Same, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, or a Wall Street Journal event. Hopefully see, see some people soon.
0: I would like that very much. Thank you again. All the best.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Jim.
0: That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast Office Hours. If you want to leave us a question to answer on a future episode, leave us a voicemail at 781-786-8885 or email us your question at cmopodgmg at gmail.com. That's gmg at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.